Good morning. Let's go ahead and find our seats and open our Bibles. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Hopefully we're going to finish up this chapter today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have selected out a people for yourself. You have created the church as the bride for your son Jesus. And you've provided men to lead and you work through your church to care for your people and help us this morning to see your concern for women and for widows and for how um, we are to deal with uh, the men that you have placed over us to, to preach and to teach. Be our teacher today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we saw that Paul um, deals rather extensively. He, he's going to dedicate about two-thirds of this chapter to the care of women and specifically the care of widows. And last week we saw that um, widows who had family, the, the family was to learn to practice piety first at home and to care for their dependent widows, specifically for those who were older. Um, and so this would be kids taking care of mom um, after dad is gone. And we saw too that widows is actually expanded. It's, it's, it's women that are alone. It's not necessarily women whose husbands have died. It could be women who have been abandoned by an unbelieving husband. It could possibly even include women who have been divorced uh, for you know, reasons on behalf of the husband. And so last week as we were looking at that, that's the, that's the concern. It was, we were, uh, Paul was defining uh, who a widow indeed, who's a real widow. It's one who is basically, she's destitute. She doesn't have family to care for her. She's not, she doesn't have means. And in those cases, the church is to step in and take care of her. Now, in verse 9, Paul shifts a little bit. And so let's read the, this next section. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has watched the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. 
for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now, there are two basic schools of thought as to who these widows are that are being referred to here. And so you have, all of a sudden in verse 9, you have the list. Sounds like a movie title. If you, if you were to look at that, if you were to pull up that word list, you would find that the word list actually isn't even there. You would find that put on the list is the translation of a single word. And the idea of that word is to enroll, to, um, to enlist. It's often used uh, outside the Bible. It was used to talk of um, soldiers and their enlistment. In fact, the word used here to put on the list is the word from which we get our word catalog. So the idea here is that you have... Um, these women are in a known role. They are in a known group. So the, the question becomes, well, who is that group? Are we talking about women in general, or are we talking about women who are actually fulfilling a specific role? And there's some clues in that in the text, because we see um, Down in verse 12, start in verse 11, you don't put younger widows on the list because when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Now, what it, what it looks to here, here, what we have, is that when you have widows who have become widows, they are now on their own, that they are dedicating themselves to service for Christ. This word pledge is the word pistis, uh, that is the word for faith. In the Bible, biblically, when you see pistis, you're going to see it as faith. In classical Greek, it was also used from the idea of a pledge, a commitment. And so what, we see, what seems to be happening here is that you have widows who, because they are casting their care on God, they are looking, since they are now, in a position where they do not have their former commitments, they are committing themselves to service to Christ. Now, why the age of 60? Now, we have some folks in here that are over the age of 60. Why 60? First of all, is 60 a character issue? Gosh, I hope not. Because frankly, if you live long enough, you get to 60. 
What was 60 culturally for these folks? Anybody know? 60 was considered the age at which you began a life of reflection. <laughs> From probably our over 60 group over here. <laughs> I, have, I am over 60, but I have not reached the stage of quiet reflection. I still roll around in ashes for a living. The idea was that when you get to 60, you're, you're at that stage of life where you're older and you're, you're really focusing on using the things that God has taught you over a lifetime and using that as, as influence for others. The Bible talks about that, right? There's actually a blessing for gray hair. Boy, am I glad for that. So the idea here is that when, when you're 60, things, aren't, things are different than when you're 25. Physically, you're different. Even emotionally and physiologically, you're different. And so the idea here is that we have these ladies who are older. Now, typically when you're 60, you're past the age of raising children. You are, you, now you're, in fact, you're, you're reaching the point where, you know, you have that R word, which actually you don't see often in the Bible, it is there, but that R word, retirement. Things are different. Yet, you can't get on the list, ladies, if you're less than 60, but then there's a bunch of other requirements that are very different. And in fact, as we look at those, what did these sound like? She's to have been the wife of one man. Now, where have we seen that before? Not the exact wording, but the, con the construction. Where have we seen that before? Qualifications for elders and for deacons, right? They were to be the husband of one wife. They were to be a one-woman man. This lady, this woman, is to have been a one-man woman. She, her, the, the quality of her marriage was to have been that she was devoted to that man. Now, since we've already seen that Younger widows, what does Paul want, want the church to do with younger widows? You don't put them on this list. What are, what, what are they to do? Get remarried. So now, this actually can help us in, remember, as we were working through, what did it mean to be a one-woman man for men in leadership? Here, Paul is saying... Uh, if you're younger and you're at that and you find yourself in this position, get married again. So does that then disqualify them in the future for being a one man woman? No, it's a character issue. So again, it's talking about the quality of the marriage. Is the marriage something that would actually, is her participation in that marriage something that could be used as an example for younger women, for other women? 
So again, the idea here, she's to bend the wife of one man. She's to have a reputation for good works. She is to, uh, she's to have brought up children. She's to have shown hospitality to strangers. She is to wash the feet of the saints, assisted those in distress, and devoted herself to every good work. What do these sound like? Have we seen stuff like this before? Where did we see it? Say it out loud. Qualifications for leadership. So, now we got to back up and go, all right, these ladies are having to meet qualifications for leadership. That's why I tend to think this isn't something that's just referring to women in general. This is talking about women who are now going to be fitting a very specific role inside the church. Now, who would these women specifically be ministering to? Younger women. And so here you've got someone who is older, who no longer has the responsibilities of running a home, raising children, taking care of her husband, uh, and doing all of those things. Now she's able to take that time and put it over here into service for Christ in his church and specifically ministering to younger women. Look, here's how you do this. Now, that happens a lot here. Not necessarily by widows either. Um, I, you know, I watch, especially these, you know, some of our younger gals. They've got multiple little kids. And there's a look that sometimes you see on the faces of younger women who have got a lot of little kids running around. You know, and we all, we're familiar with that look, aren't we? Some of you ladies have worn that look at, you know, earlier in life. And you can, and you can see uh, this young lady and, oh, you, you, there's some sympathy and some empathy going on here because you can remember those days. I'm looking at one of my daughters-in-law in the back and I see that look on her face since she's got three little boys. This is an opportunity for these women then in order to fill a specific function in the church. Now, the idea here, again, is that there is a commitment. That's the idea in verse 12 of a pledge. Now, so if the woman is older, she is beyond, you know, raising another family and she has, she's got a demonstrated history of service to people and service to Christ, really, right? Then she is able to be enrolled in this function. What is interesting is, as you continue, verse 11, but refuse. Now, this word refuse is the same word that's used in Titus 3.10, when it talks about reject a factious man. That word reject is the same word here. It is you are not even to consider younger women. Now, is Paul anti-woman? No. 
Not even close. And in fact, here's where you see the heart of a man who cares for people. Watch his reasoning. Refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual disregard, sexual, excuse me, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Younger women, because they're younger, well, they still have some of the physiological drives that older people don't have. And they're confronted, they've made a commitment. Now, in your notes, there's a couple of um, passages there. There's Numbers 30, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23, 21. Those talk about if you make a vow, if you make a commitment to God, what did you better do? You'd better keep it. You had better fulfill it. In fact, uh, what does it say? It's better not to make the vow if you cannot keep it. And so the idea here is that when these, if, if you find yourself in a position where you're making a commitment, I am going to fulfill this role. I am going to take on this commitment in service of God and Christ, then you'd better keep it. And what happens for some of these younger ladies is that all of a sudden they get in here, they are working in that role, and now all of a sudden they find themselves in a conflict. They're younger, they would want to be able, I'd really like just to get remarried and be able to have a family. I would like to be able to do these other things. But now, can you see what's happened? They've made a, a, a vow over here, they've made a pledge, and now they have these other you know, desires, and these are now in conflict. Can you imagine the conflict that was in Jephthah's mind? Remember Jephthah back in the Old Testament? He ends up being a judge. He ends up being a deliverer for Israel. And he goes into battle. And remember, he made a rash vow. Anybody remember what it was? That's right. When he comes home, if God, if you give me the victory, I'll sacrifice the first thing that I see come out of my house when I get home. And what's that end up being? His only daughter. Whoops. So, God takes these commitments seriously. We are to take those commitments seriously. And so what Paul is getting at here, if, yet ladies, if you are in a position of life where it can be anticipated, in fact, church, since you're the ones putting them on the list, you need to be considering this if they are young enough that all of a sudden this is a reasonable, foreseeable consequence or issue. Don't put her in that position. Because when you have this kind of conflict, when 
I have a commitment over here to with for my time, for my efforts, for my wishes, for uh, everything. And now all of a sudden, I am discontent with this because I have other desires that are over here and they are in conflict. What's going to happen when you have that kind of a conflict? What happens when you're at a job and all of a sudden, you know what? I'd rather be someplace else. What is a natural consequence of your conduct where you are when you don't really want to be there? Yeah, you're not giving. So again, you're not giving it your all. Your, your attention, you're, dis, you're, 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 di, you're divided. You're divided. What does divided ministry look like? Go ahead, Keisha. Yeah, nothing good. Nothing good. And he even spells that out. Verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. So the idea here is the going from house to house is what they would be doing in the natural fulfillment of their ministry. But what's happening now is they're going from house to house. They're not focused on, hey, let's, let's work today on how do, we, how do we love our husband? How do you love your husband? How do you love your children? How do you do these things? Rather than be focusing on the ministry aspect of that, now it's, yeah, I'm in your house, but uh, do you hear about so-and-so? What, did you, what's going on over here? They've lost the ministry focus, and now all of a sudden, what, when, when they get off track, what's going to happen to the person that they are ministering to? Yeah, potentially cause them to stumble. Potentially lead them astray. What example are they actually giving? Can you see that when all of a sudden, when the heart becomes divided in a way that you could actually, you could anticipate this happening. Now the problem is, Almost certainly, in fact, Paul doesn't have to imagine that this is a potential consequence. Look down at verse 15. Some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So this is something that's already happening. In fact, Timothy, you probably don't have to look too far to put names to what we're talking about. And in fr you know, frankly, we skipped over some stuff. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Now, he's talked about this before, right? So the idea here is, 
What you want and what these ladies have signed on to do is to have a ministry to younger women in helping them to do those things that they need to do. Love their husbands, love their children, keep their house, and all those things that we see really outlined in Titus 2, right? Instead, though, because they're younger and now they have this conflict of, ah, I'd like to be married then you've built in trouble. Verse 14, therefore, I want, and this is a strong I want. And, and the idea is, is that Paul is saying, I want, with the, with the uh, implication that, and church, you want this too. You're to want this. How do you encourage these women? Tell them to get married. Tell them to get remarried. They're younger, get married, have kids, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Now, what happens when somebody in a position of responsibility or position of leadership falls? What happens reputation-wise for the church? There's another one of those oh, Christians. Those hypocrites. Why was God so displeased with David? What did Nathan say to him? After David confesses, Right? Nathan confronts him. David confesses. And Nathan tells him, okay, you're not going to die. But what you did brought reproach to the name. And as a result, the sword is never going to leave your house. And all those things that you see, all those problems for David with his kids, Absalom, Amnon, Tamar, all of that's after Bathsheba. And so the idea here again is the reason that you have the character qualifications for leadership and, you, and you're trying to, to, to structure it in such a way that you have people of integrity in those positions is because when they stumble, when they fall, the consequences are high. It brings reproach to the name. If I mentioned in the name uh, Jimmy Swagger, you older people, what do you think about? Let me ask you, do you think about years of service? If I mention, um, boy, I tell you, uh, you can strike a whole lot closer to home with some of that. And that's not, that's not even necessarily restricted to the church. Len Bias. Anybody remember that name? Len Bias. Who was he? He was a basketball player. And why do you know his name? It was a, he was, a, I think, a first-round draft pick. 
and never got to play a game because he OD'd on cocaine. Now, th that happened over 30 years ago. And yet, if you mention the name, if you know the name at all, that's the context for it. If you say the name Bathsheba, what do you think of? You automatically link that with another name, don't you? Right? Who in the room remembers she was the mother of Solomon? That's true. But that is not the first thing that comes into your mind when you mention the name. Sin is a stain. And it is a stain that just doesn't go away. Which, by the way, is why Spurgeon talked about men in leadership who fall. I can't remember. I don't think it was Spurgeon's quote. I think he was actually quoting somebody else. But the idea behind the quote was, when a man falls in that way, you let him take his place at the rear of the ranks until his repentance becomes as notorious as his sin. You don't be quick to restore people into positions of authority when there has been that kind of a failure. And so here, Paul is looking at this and going, there is something that is natural for younger women. Therefore, church, don't put them in the position. Just stop it. Don't put them in that position. Encourage them. That is one place, frankly, where matchmaking is probably encouraged. So ladies, ever wanted to play Yenta? <laughs> if you have younger, younger women that are widows, there's your chance. And frankly, it's probably got the good housekeeping seal of approval on it. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. This is not something that is... Uh, subtle. The consequences here are real. Now, questions? Vitaly. Okay, the question is, um, if I can restate this, uh, how much of this is the church encouraging this versus the woman herself wanting to pursue it? Okay, that's a good question. And I think um, 
Now, I cannot speak from the position of being a woman and how they would perceive these things, all right? I can tell you that um, having gone through some, you know, pretty significant emotional events in my lifetime, that often after one of those, there is uh, a desire when, when, when you are faced with something like that, you, you come to realize how dependent you are on Christ, on God. And there's often a, a desire, there, there's, a, there's a, a focus that ends up being there because I no longer have this relationship over here that demanded my attention. That attention can now be refocused and it often comes over here to, to Christ in service to him. That doesn't necessarily last because what happens again when you have grief and there's a number of people in here who could give a lot of, this is what it's like. Um, oftentimes that is something that, that, that happens here and then can fade over time. In this case here, again, going back, and I think going to Titus 2 might be helpful, because what was it in Titus 2 that the older women were to teach the younger women? What was on, the, what was on that list? First off, number one, how to love your husband, how to love your children, how to be a keeper at home. And so here we have these same thing. Those are the normal things that younger women are going to be concentrated on in a, in a young family. I know that that's what Carolyn was focused on for years and years. And so the idea here, I think, is to be able to have a long view in what's going on here. There is something where... Um, I don't know if I want to use the word there can be an infatuation, but that's the idea. When you're infatuated with something or someone, what is that? In fact, what does the word mean, infatuated? Pardon me? I don't know if it's lust. Okay, consumed, but for how long? You see, that's the whole thing. When you think about the word infatuation, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? It's temporary. It's limited. You know, that can happen in service in the church. And in fact, uh, is it that unusual to see happen in the church? We had a man, we have a man right now who's been a pastor here for 25 years? Long time. He was significantly influenced by another man here who was a pastor here for 
40 years. That's stability. That's commitment. We've also had a number of people here who came and left. And so that I think here is the reason that Paul is telling Timothy this and in it, by extension he is passing this on to the church is for the church to have the care for people to help them see beyond the right now and what's right in front of you right right in front of us right now at this moment there's a saying marry in haste repent at am i the only one who knows that saying Oh dear, the saying is, marry at haste, repent at leisure. What, what, in fact, what's one of the things here? There's an admonition in most marriage, wedding ceremonies, right? Marriage is not something that's just to be jumped. I can't remember exactly how that's worded. It's not just something to be taken on quickly, but it is to be done with consideration. Why? This is on here for a long time. So, you'd better make sure that this is where you want to be. Sam? Just reading his words, it seems like Paul is elevating this ministry of widow care almost to the point of the marriage. He's, he's saying this is a serious deal. You're going to be committed to this. If you go out and look for another man, that's almost like an adult you go ahead. <laughs> you want me to say it again? <laughs> All right. Well, it just seems like Paul is elevating this widow ministry, both on the church's side, I think more on the church's side, and the woman's side of being almost like a marriage, and that you got to take this with as much commitment level and and gravity as a true marriage. And if she's seeking another marriage. Yeah, and if she, then if she gets on, you know, she's committed there, and then she goes and seeks another man, or seeks a man, it's almost, it feels like, just reading him, that it could be almost at the level of an adultery situation there. That's why I let him say it. That's well put. Does Paul care for these people? Yeah, he does. So avoid this landmine because it's a potential landmine. And in fact, church, you can help her because you can have, you can be looking at the larger picture. So oftentimes when you're wrapped up in grief, can you see everything that's around you? Come on now, especially you people that have, that have gone through things. You know what it's like. You know, the, the weight of the world has come down and everything is about this. And so here's where other people can come in, come alongside, help through. And Sam, I like how you, 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 you know, it's, it, it is almost adultery. 
What Paul wants these women to be able to do is have the attitude toward Christ so that they can be a one-man woman. And if they're young enough, then take that very same dedication and give it to a man. My wife has served Christ all these years by caring for me and for our children. She has served Christ, which, by the way, has made all the difference in our relationship. Why do I not need to worry about her dedication? Because she cannot serve the Christ she loves and not serve me as her husband. And so, ladies, when, when you are dedicated to your husband, that is one way that you show your dedication for Christ. Am I faithful in the duties that God has given me? That's how you demonstrate faithfulness. That's why men, those who are in positions of authority, you'd better be dotting your I's and crossing your T's at home. Because you cannot faithfully serve Christ in the church and get a get-out-of-jail-free card for not fulfilling your responsibilities at home. That was not just said to you. i got to look in the mirror for that one, too. If any woman is a believer who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now that's talking, that's going back to the, to the actual care for women. That's not a ministry issue there. That's actually talking about their care. Again, women, if you have, if you have the, um, the means by which to do that, you take care of dependent widows that you have. That's not just men. All right, any other questions on women and widows? If you ever want to consider how women, how God feels about women, how Christ feels about women, you look at this. Women were elevated here. This was talking about caring for them. At no time does God look at women as property. At no time does he look at them as somebody that men are to take advantage of. That is not biblical. That, that is not Christian at all. Now, verses 17 to 25, he trans... Like, like we find examples where you couldn't say that it's 
necessarily or categorically the case that a young woman who becomes a widow um, should be regarded in this way, the way you described it here in, in First Timothy. There's the example of Anna, mm -hmm. who became a widow young, mm -hmm. and then for the remainder of her life she served in the temple. Mm -hmm. So there are exceptions in fact, right, of what we seem to be talking about, where in her case, you know, we don't have the church necessarily, but we, got, we obviously have the, the, the community within the synagogue where this woman was provided for as she served faithfully within the temple. How would, you, how would you look at that example over against what Paul was I thought about Anna because it's, it's the time of year. She comes up. It's Christmas time. And, and that's where we find her in, in Luke here with the Christmas story. Um, are there people who can make that commitment and stick to it? Well, yes. There are. As a rule, uh, Paul takes the stance that he does as a rule. Um, if you have, uh, and I can think of other, well, that's not, that's not in a biblical sense. Um, typically, if you've been married, you most likely do not have the gift of singleness. All right? If you did, you probably wouldn't have gotten married to begin with. Um, so I think here the, actually, you know what? Paul is pretty specific here in all truthfulness. You know, the I want, this is, no, this, this actually needs to be commanded. The idea of refuse to put younger women on the list is very strong. Um, and so if you have somebody um, who is younger, I think Paul would say, um, you know, can she do certain things? Yes, don't necessarily put her in a position where she is required to do those things. Does that make sense? Right. Sure seems to be. It, now, and again, in, in, in another way, you can look at it this way. Um, when we're looking for deacons here, what do we look for? First and foremost, people who are already deaking. They're already serving. What do we look for here when we're, when we're, when we're looking for an elder? We look for somebody who is elding. The thing with a gift is it doesn't matter if you have the title or not. It's your gift and you should be using it. And so that is probably a good way to look at that. It's not gonna be in an official capacity, 
um, I was, um, I am very grateful for a number of years. I taught Sunday school here. I've taught the adult Sunday school class for a number of years. I wasn't a pastor. They allowed me to, to use my gifts without having a title to go with it. And I know that for a number of you, uh, when it comes to uh, deaking, there's a number of people who have never been deacons. But if there's a need, those people are there. And so um, that's probably a good way to look at it is not in an official capacity. So that allows for someone who, for whatever reason, uh, you know, doesn't get remarried. Now, they're going to have to learn how to deal <laughs> with all of the other implications of that, right? All right. Why does this happen every week? <laughs> All right. Now he's going to talk about how does the church relate to elders. And um, we'll start this and we'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get. And if we don't finish, then we'll just pick this part up next week. You know, that way we don't have to. And actually, we actually have a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, since technically we don't have to finish this class until the end of January because fundamentals of the faith is going to go to the end of January. So we got a little bit of slack here. All right. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his holy angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Now, Paul doesn't go back here, and he doesn't rehash the character qualities, the character qualifications for a man who is going to be a pastor. But, he, so he starts off here, elders who rule well. So there's automatically a qualification here, isn't there? It's not just a pastor who is serving, but he is one who is serving well. 
They are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. This, this word here, work hard, is the same one that we saw back in chapter 4, verse 10, where it talks about laboring and striving. It's working to the point of exhaustion. So this is not somebody who comes in and goes through the motions. This is somebody who gives everything to his mission. Now this idea of honor is a little different. It's a different word. It shares, it shares the same root as the word for honor that was back in chapter, uh, in verse 3, where it talks about honoring widows. This word here is not just holding them in esteem. There is also a financial aspect to it. So for instance, the word is also translated price seven times in the New Testament. So in 1 Corinthians 6.20, when it says, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body, that word price is translated here, honor. And the emphasis, again, is on those who are preaching and teaching. Now, what was Paul's attitude toward being supported by churches? in his ministry. What was his attitude toward that? He worked with his own hands. And so when you see him uh, going to Ephesus, in fact, Ephesus, he, he refers to that specifically in Acts chapter 20. I worked with my own hands so that I would not be a burden to you. He refers to that in Thessalon to the Thessalonians. Um, it is good to work with your own hands. Right? Yet, at the same time, what was his attitude toward the Philippians? And why? Well, I was hoping for not silence on that one. Okay. The Philippians had expressed their love for Paul on more than one occasion. In fact, they actually sought, they searched for him to find him so that they could help support him. Remember, they sent him thing, uh, money. Again, being in a Roman prison, being in jail in Rome is not like being in jail here. All right? When you're in jail here, you get three meals a day, you have a place to sleep, and you're not outside. Right? I'm not glorifying it, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people living on the street who live a lot better when they're in jail than they do on the street. That was not that, and it's all given to them. They don't pay for any of that. That was not the case in a Roman jail. If you ate, it's because somebody brought you food. Somebody provided that for you. The state did not. And so you needed to be cared for or else jail was going to be very, very difficult for you. And the Philippians hunted him down. They searched for him and they found him. And he expressed his gratitude to them, right? 
because that's what they did. If you look over in first, in fact, let's go ahead. We got a couple minutes, and so let's just do that. First Corinthians chapter nine. Start at verse one. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now that's the argument for. Now Paul's attitude towards it's in the next verse. But I've used none of these things, and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. Paul's not in the ministry so that other people would take care of him. That's not what drives him. And in fact, why did he work with his own hands? Why was he a tent maker? Specifically, while he was going around town to town, city to city. Why did he do that? Not to be a burden. Exactly. Many of the people who were coming to Christ were poor. They were slaves. Remember, again, in 1 Corinthians, who are they? They're the nobodies. Not many wise, not many noble, right? Not many mighty. God calls the nobodies. I don't know about you. I'm grateful for that. So the point being is, there were some who would take the ox, and again, when they were threshing in those days, you would have the ox, they'd put the grain on the floor, the threshing floor, and the ox would walk around in circles, and by walking on it, he's breaking up the husk, and he's shelling the grain. So if you were really a, 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 an inconsiderate owner, you would put a muzzle on the ox so that he can't eat as he's going around and doing his work. And in the Old Testament, God said, you don't do that. Let him eat. 
If you raise a crop, it's expected that you're going to get part of that crop, right? And so Paul's view here is when you have men who have dedicated their lives um, close your ears for a second, would you please? Close your ears. All right. Dave and Charles, they do not have a 40-hour work week. And they put in hours for prepping for sermons. You can tell when they're preaching, right? That's not something that they just whip together in 20 minutes. More like 20 or 30 hours every week. And then on top of that, you have all the other things that are involved with ministry. These guys never work 40 hours in a week, ever. A 40-hour week is a week off for these guys. So, is it wrong then that we actually compensate them so that they can have a home, so that they can actually have food on the table? That's not wrong at all. And in fact, it's, it's intended. That's Paul's point here. When you have people who are working hard, especially at preaching and teaching, you take care of them. Questions? It's five after ten. All right, we'll pick back up here. We didn't finish. We'll pick back up next week. Father, thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. Um, thank you that you care uh, for us. Thank you that you care for those who are vulnerable. Uh, women tend to be vulnerable, especially those who have lost their husbands. And yet here you give us very specific instruction as to how to help care for them, both physically, financially, emotionally. Thank you that your design is that there's people who come alongside so that none of us are, are trying to slog through on our own. Thank you for giving us an extended family here in the church, that we have brothers and sisters, that we have those who, who care as to you know, what is going on with us, and they care enough that they will sacrifice of what they have on behalf of another. That's because of you. You're the one that sheds that kind of love abroad in our hearts. And so thank you. Help us to worship you aright. And Father, help us to worship you with our whole hearts this morning as we come before you. In Christ's name, amen.